Believe it or not, it just dawned on me that I won't be sleeping on the camp tonight. Wow. I know what you guys had a nice king size bed. Hey, I didn't put it there. But it's been wonderful having time to be with you all this weekend. In your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 1 to verse 3. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtain a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Lord, we thank you for this final time together. We thank you for the privilege we've had to get to know each other, to worship together, to spend time around your word. We pray you speak to us on this last topic as we consider a man of faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our final principle on the man of faith, principle number four, men of faith are men of action who by their action impact the world. Men of faith are men of action, who by their action, they impact the world. James makes it clear to us in James chapter 2. James says, faith without works is dead being alone. Whenever you see someone with faith, you'll see a man of action. The converse is not true. Just because you have activity or action doesn't necessarily mean you have faith. But I can assure you, if you are a man of faith, there will be action. Several years ago, I had a chance to go up to Canton, Ohio, and I wanted to do, that was on my bucket list, to go to Canton, Ohio, to the Hall of Fame. And so one of my kids was running in a track meet up in Canton, so I said, this is a perfect time for me to check something off my bucket list. And we got a chance to go to the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. Man, I was like a kid in a candy store. I just... It's so big and so much to see, I didn't have time to get it all in, but I tried to rush through as much as I possibly could. I wanted to see people that uh, some of you guys would never even, never heard of before, you young bucks. Guys like Dick Buckus. I wanted to see his bus. I wanted to see film on Dick Buckus. He was Mr. Nasty when I was a kid. And I wanted to see this guy, uh, Deacon Jones, because Deacon Jones developed what was called the head slap. And I was in high school, I was playing defensive, uh, defensive tackle, and man, I was slapping some heads, trying to be like Deacon Jones. Another one of my favorites was a guy named Gail Sayers. He was poetry in motion. I don't care, Walter Payton was great, Jim Brown was great, but no one ran the ball like Gail. It was like ballet. He was like, he was like a ballerina in motion running the football. One of my favorite quarterbacks was Fran Tarkenton. Just run around, run around, run around, run around, throw the ball. Just couldn't get a good hit on Fran Tarkenton. And so I'm going through the halls and corridors, and my kids are really not getting it. And so I'm kind of sensing i got to push myself through this thing because if I don't, I'm going to lose them. So we rushed in a lot faster than I wanted to rush through the whole, the whole hall. But when I came out, I was glad I went. And I'm planning on, by God's grace, going back again with somebody who 
cares about going to the hall when I, when I can take my time and do what I want to do and watch all the movies that's there and all the displays and everything else and just take my time, take a couple of days and go through it. Well, this, this afternoon we are all invited to a hall. It's called the Hall of Fame. There are many busts, many displays, many great acts of men, but they're all acts of faith. And these are men who made an impact on their culture, and they made an impact on their world, and they are impacting us even until this day. I want to take a little brief scroll down the hall. Uh, we can't stop at all the bus, but there are some uh, favorites of mine that I want to spend some time and take a look at. Here in verse 1, as we approach the, the, the front porch of the hall, it tells us what the hall is all about. It's about faith. It says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, faith is the assurance that you got what you want. It's the title deed. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's that internal conviction God gives you. Though you can't see it with the eye, you see it in your heart. And you know you have it from the Lord. It's that great assurance. He says that there are some benefits to faith. Verse 2. For by the elders or the men of old, the patriarchs, obtain good report. A good report from God. They got a good report card from God because they were men of faith. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were made. And so we come to the first bus. It's one of Abel. Abel is the first one after the fall that we have in Scripture that had a right relationship with God. After his parents disobeyed the Lord, we now see Abel step forward here in chapter 11, verse 4. It says that by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained, uh, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous by God testifying of his gifts, and by he being dead, yet he speaks. In Genesis chapter 4, the scripture says we have Abel, and God had regard for Abel and his sacrifice. And sometimes I think we skip the first part of that section. He had regard for Abel and for his sacrifice. Yes, Abel gave a more excellent sacrifice by faith, but apparently Abel was also doing something, walking in a way to please God that his brother Cain was not. And he comes before God with a prescribed sacrifice. He brought up to the Lord uh, of his flock, shed blood, but he gave that offering in faith. Apparently he understood what God wanted. and He gave to God exactly what he wanted, not what he uh, wanted to give to the Lord. And so by that faith, God commends him. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, says that the first thing you should teach a new convert is how to worship. Teach them how to worship. And Abel teaches us how to worship God. We come before him in faith. And so often we come to church and we, we enter into what's called our worship service and our minds are a billion miles away and we think about all kinds of things and we actually sometimes begin to think that we're doing God a favor and, and somehow by what we're singing and what we're saying, you know, we're getting merit with God and we really miss out on worship. We come because of faith. Because we've come to experience the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We've put our trust in his redemptive work. And now we can approach this holy God, not clothed in our righteousness, but in that which was provided for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Abel by faith teaches us how to worship. And I trust that as you go back home tomorrow, your sanctuary walls will get blown apart because there are men coming in, trusting God, walking by faith, worshiping him. 
Then we come to this man named Enoch. Enoch is a very exciting character. It says, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. We meet him in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6 the Bible says that Enoch lived for 65 years and then something happened to him. We don't know exactly what happened, what was his experience, but the Bible says he lived for 65 years and he had a son named Methuselah. And at the beginning of Methuselah, the Bible says he walked with God for 300 years. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years and Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. Now I want you to imagine something. God gives you 365 years of life. And God gives you about four verses in the Bible. And in two of those verses, God makes a point to say, Leroy, walk with me. That tells me What's important to God? God says nothing about what he possessed. God says nothing about his position in the society. Maybe he was part of the Elks Club. I don't know. We don't know how many businesses that he had, what great projects he did. But when God talks about him, God says that Enoch walked with me. He walked with me and he was not. He, he, he's walking with God and all of a sudden he's somewhere else. This isn't Kansas, is it? No. He walked right into glory. He was walking with God, and before he knew it, he's standing in the presence of God. He teaches us how to walk with God. How do we do it? We, we walk with God by faith. And unless you have faith, you can't walk with God. He has this intimate relationship with the Lord, and the Bible says he has this son, this son named Methuselah. Methuselah for us is a trinity person because he lives for 969 years. A long time, man. That's a long time. For 969 years he lived. We can't even hardly imagine that if he would come to the door right now and come up front and I could interview him and I would say, Mr. Methuselah, 969 years? Yeah, 969 years. Went by so fast, so fast, so fast. Like, when was he a teenager? At 500? <laughs> 969 years. But if you compare 969 years to eternity, your life is but a vapor, even at 969 years. Now, can you imagine the impact that Enoch had on his son Methuselah? All that Methuselah knew of his father for 300 years was, of his life, was that my dad walked with God. That's all I know about that. The most important thing about my daddy is my dad walked with God. And if you're a father here today, guys, I want you to understand something. It won't matter to your children how much money you make. It won't matter to them where you live. It won't matter to them if you've got a nice car or a bad car, a poor car, a broken down car, a hoopty. It don't matter. What will matter for all of eternity is they had a dad who walked with God. Can you imagine the conversations that Methuselah had with his friends? His friends come around and say, Methuselah, where's your daddy? Where's Enoch? Well, he, oh, he's not here. He's not there. Well, where is he? He's gone. Where did he go? God took him. God took him. Why did God take him? Because the Bible says he had this reputation that he pleased God and he's gone. Guys, that's what matters. Several years ago when my oldest son was playing with the Patriots, I got a telephone call from the Boston Globe of all organizations. 
My son was up there. He was sharing his faith in the locker room. He was sharing his faith in the community. And people were talking about this born-again Christian up in Boston playing football, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And this reporter called me up one day and said to me, Mr. Watson, let me ask you a question. What is your secret to raising your boys? That was the question. I said, it's simple. I want to be the man today that I want my boys to be tomorrow. You want to raise good boys? Be the man today that you want them to be tomorrow. All that Methuselah knew was his daddy was walking with God. And Enoch impacted Methuselah. And Methuselah impacted others. The Bible says we come to the fact that Methuselah had a son named Lamech. And Lamech had a son named Noah. So the great-grandfather of Noah was who? Enoch. I've got to believe that somehow Enoch impacted Noah. And we're going to see exactly why I would say that. So we continue down the hall here in chapter 11. And we run into this person named Noah in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. In Genesis chapter 6, when we encounter Noah, the Bible says something about him. The Bible says that Noah found grace. Don't think, once again, that anybody found right standing with God based on performance. That Noah found grace with God. If any man is saved, he's saved by grace. Noah found grace with God in Genesis chapter 6. Then the Bible says that Noah was a just man. And Noah was perfect, not sinless. He was a, a man without blemish, blameless, in his generation. So when God sees Noah, he sees a man that wants to please him, who wants to walk right, who wants to live right. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 that Noah walked with God. I wonder where he got that from. I imagine the impact of his great-grandfather was passed on to Methuselah. And Methuselah lived for 969 years and he died the year of the flood. And then the rains came. And now we have Noah in his generation. And don't think that Noah had a ticker tape parade around him. Don't think that Noah had some place to go where people patted him on the back and said, oh, Amen, we just commend you for walking with God. For the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, the generation of Noah was like this. Every imagination of their hearts were wicked when God saw it. He had to learn how to stand alone. Guys, if we don't learn how to stand alone, you're not going to stand at all. There are going to be dry moments and desert places in our Christian walk. There are going to be times when people won't pet you on your back. People that you expect to say, you're doing a great job, they won't say a word. Sometimes Christians that you respect will begin to compromise. You have to stand firm. That was Noah and his generation. And God honored that. And Noah had an impact. His impact was primarily on his family. Apparently he worked for 100 and preached for 120 years, the Bible says, as a preacher of righteousness. But how many people came into the vessel? How many people came into the ark? The world didn't come in. There were eight souls, and counted Noah, in the ark. 
But can you imagine something? That this man who was just and righteous and walking before the Lord had an impact on his family, that his family came into the ark. One of the most tragic things I could ever imagine in my own life is that I would go around preaching to others and my children be lost. What a sad thing. What a sad thing for me to pour my heart into other people and my children don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. My children are pursuing hard after him. But Noah had the pleasure of watching his family come into the ark because he was a man of faith. And because he was a man of faith, he built the ark. And because he built the ark, there was a place of safety for the saving of his household. Now we can't make our children come to Christ. Don't get me wrong. But we sure can uh, help a them acquire a taste for righteousness. We sure can produce an atmosphere in our household that would uh, lead them to think about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says if you have an unsaved spouse that you can be the person who sanctifies that person. The Bible says if you have children who are not saved, you, you can sanctify those children. Doesn't mean that you can save them, but they are set aside for a very special revelation of God as they watch you in your household. Nor went into that boat with a satisfaction, as he looked back, his children came with him. Let me tell you something. There ain't nothing like that. There's nothing like to be on your knees with your children and they give their heart to Christ. I love to go places and see people come to Christ, but seeing my own children come to Christ, get out of here. What you talking about? There ain't no comparison. I'm not going to lie to you. And Noah had that privilege. Look at verse 8. We move past the film of Noah and we keep on going and we come to this man named Abraham. When we say Abraham, everyone knows who Abraham is. He is known to us as the father of the faith. By faith, Abraham, verse 8, when he was called to go out into a place which he should uh, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out, not knowing where he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We meet him in Genesis chapter 12. Oh Abraham, a pagan. Oh Abraham, a man who doesn't know God, but God reveals himself to Abraham. And God says, I want you to get out from your kindred, get out from your country. And God says, I'm going to show you where I want you to go. I'm going to make you a blessing. I'm going to bless the whole world to you as I make your name great. Look what the scripture says about Abraham. The Bible says when Abraham went, how did he go? He went in obedience. God told him to do something and he did it. God honors obedience. His faith is seen in obedience. The Bible says that Abraham believed God and his faith was counted for righteousness. Because he did something. Well, how did he do it? The Bible says he walked in obedience to God, but he didn't know where he was going. Somehow we think God owes us an explanation, don't we? We want God to tell us where we're going, how we're going, what it's going to cost to get there, and when we're going to arrive, and then we'll think about doing it. Abraham had no clue. Obedience does not require that I know where God wants me to go. It requires me to trust the Lord. 
And the Bible says here in the book of Hebrews, he was walking as a stranger, as a pilgrim. He's in the midst of a people that don't know the Lord as a stranger. Peter says that we are strangers and pilgrims. And the, he says because of that, we should make sure that we are walking in purity. We shouldn't be like the world. We shouldn't be like others. God actually expects us as men of God to be different. Did you know that? He actually expects us to live a different kind of life. And so Abraham moved around as a stranger, but also as a pilgrim. A pilgrim is just passing through. Many years ago, I had a pastor. He was in his 80s, a guy named Jim Drew. And I love that guy, I tell you. It seemed like every time he opened his mouth, wisdom came out of his mouth because he always spoke the Bible. But he would tell us as young men, he would say to us, men, live your life like Abraham. Don't live your life like Lot. What do I mean, man? He would always answer his own questions. He <laughs> would have this one tear would just come out of his eye. I don't know how he learned how to cry with one eye, but this one tear would come out of his eye and he would say, Abraham, Abraham dwelt in tents and Lot settled down in the city. Then he would, let me tell you, live your life like you're holding on to a tent. So whenever God tells you to move, you can pick up your tent and move. He says, some of you men live like Lot. You're captivated by the world. So when God calls you to do something, you can't do it because you're loving the world. And every time I come to this passage, I think about Jim Drew who told us to live like Abraham. Live your life like you're living in a tent. And so when God says move, you move. Don't drive your stakes in too tightly or too deep in this world. So this was Abraham. Abraham was the one who we call the father of faith and he walked out. And I can imagine Abraham talking to the son that he finally received. Abraham waited for 25 years before God fulfilled that promise and gave him that seed, Isaac. I've got to believe that Abraham told Isaac some stories about why he was traveling and what was going on. I've got to believe that. Let me ask you a question today. Do your children know your story? Do your children know your journey? Have you taken the time to tell your children where you come from and what you've been through and how you met the Lord Jesus Christ? So many times in Christian homes, I know young people who can't tell me the testimony of their parents. And that's tragic because we have the responsibility to pass the baton. We pass the baton of the scripture and doctrine, but we also pass the baton of our experiences. I had a chance to go to a track meet and uh, went to my kids' high school track meet, and I, I just love to watch the relays. So I wanted to make sure I was there when they ran the relay. And uh, the 4 by 100 relay. And so I'm standing by the starting line and behind the fence and I'm watching this young lady as she's warming up and the coach is giving her a pep talk. We can do this. You got to get out strong. And man, she looked good, man. She was standing up there by the blocks, man. She was shaking her legs. Them thigh muscles were like... I mean, she looked good. And he was giving her a massage on her shoulder and everything and telling her what she had to do. And she was like... I mean, she was pumped. And I'm watching all of this. And then, 
you ever seen a picture and you say, well, something's wrong with the picture, but you can't figure out what's wrong with the picture? I'm watching her and I noticed there was no baton in her hand. But she was, and the coach was giving her a massage and she got in the blocks. She's running the first leg of the relay. And I wanted to cry out, hey, hey. But I'm going to keep my mouth shut. She got in the blocks. And man, she get, rose up in the blocks. And man, all the muscles were tense. And everybody was like ready. I'm watching her hand. Because I want to figure out and find out when she's going to discover she don't have a baton in her hand. Sure enough, the gun goes off. Pow! She jumps out. She's in front. And she's going on that turn. And apparently, she, and she realized she had no baton. And you see her slowing down. And she starts to cry. And she comes off the track. And the coach is like, what are you doing? You got to pass a baton. You got to pass a baton to your children. You got to let them know how God provided for you. You got to tell them how he encouraged your heart. You got to show them and tell them about the mercy you experienced in the Lord Jesus Christ and all your ups and your downs. Let me tell you something. I made a great mistake as a father. Can I share it with you? A great mistake as a father. My mistake as a father became real to me about mm, five or six years ago. You see, I was of the opinion that as a father, it's my responsibility to show my children, particularly my boys, I'm a strong Christian man. And they should see that and they should know that. My oldest son is what we call a perfectionist. He admits that. He, he struggled with that. He, 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 he has to push it to the nth degree to get it right. When he was a small boy, we would say, oh, Benjamin, go clean up the kitchen. When you came into that kitchen, you would have thought Mr. Clean was in there. Like, <laughs> the light would be so bright. He would scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub and scrub. And then one day he came home and he had his report card. He had like six A's and a B. And really, I was, I was really kidding. I really was kidding. I was kidding. He gave me his report card. I said, whoa, whoa, got to be, are you slipping? I was kidding, man. I really was, right? And I turned around, and I saw him going up the stairs like this. And I called him back. I said, no, 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 I don't. I, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. Several years later, he's playing with the Patriots. And I wanted to see him play, and if, if he had five catches and dropped one ball, it's like depression sits in. And he called me up, he says, Dad, he said, look, I know I'm saved by grace. He said, I know that. He says, Dad, I know you love me unconditionally. I know I can do nothing to make you love me more. And I know God loves me, but I know it in my head, but I struggle. I struggle with, if I make a mistake, will God love me? And to be honest, Dad, I struggle, even though I know it doesn't make sense, if you will love me if I drop the ball. And he said to me, he says, Dad, I've never met anybody like you. He says, Dad, I've never heard you curse one time. Dad, I've never seen you look at girly magazines. I, even the men that you hang around, Dad, they don't do that stuff. And I said, well, Benjamin, I've 
I've got problems. I've got flaws too. He said, you do? I said, yeah. And then I got a flashback when I was a senior in college. I'm a senior in college and I'm playing football. My roommate was an unbeliever. And in my head I said, I've got to live the Christian life in front of this guy so he'll know what a Christian is really like. And there was no communication, deep communication with us. Then one day I'm going to class. I'm walking across campus. Guys, that was in the 70s now. In the 70s, girls had big froze. They had hot, hot pants. And everybody was tall in the 70s. We had platform shoes, right? <laughs> so I'm walking across campus. This girl has come. Her, her fro is bouncing, boy. And I said, oh, my goodness. Oh, Lord, please. Don't let me look a second time. You ever had one of those experiences? You couldn't help the first time, so you know, God gave me credit for that. But I said, Lord, please don't let me turn and look at her the second time. And by God's grace, man, I was like, I didn't do it. So I get back to the dorm that night. We're sitting around talking. And I don't know why it came up. I said, hey, Ernie, man, I had to pray today. He says, why? I said, man, I was walking across campus. I saw this girl, man, she was looking good. And I had to pray not to look at her. And he said, you did? You did? I didn't think those kinds of things bothered you. I became human to him. And then I began to share later on, and man, he started loving the Lord. We had relationship. But before that, I was like Moses coming off the mountaintop with a glow on my face, and I covered it, but didn't want people to see my flaws. So I said to my son, I apologize to you. See, I thought that showing you what it meant to be a Christian was to show you the highs all the time. No, 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 no. Showing your boys and your daughters what it means to be a Christian is show them your mistakes and show them how you got up by God's grace. And so I produce a perfectionist older son. And by God's grace, we see him breaking through that and we see things happening in his life. But he's written articles about perfectionism. And so be real in front of your children because they have to learn that if I fall, I can get up by the grace of God. And so we have these men. These men are fathers. These men are having impact on their children. Enoch had impact on Methuselah. Noah had impact on his children. And that's the way God designed it to be for us to make a difference. So we move a little bit further. We move a little bit further and we think about Abraham once again in verse 17. The Bible says, for by faith he gave the sacrifice of this child, this son that God had given to him because he believed that God was able to raise him up from the dead if necessary. He knew God wasn't going to go back on his word. When I read that passage of scripture, I marvel at Isaac. We tend to think that Isaac was some little teeny kid, but he wasn't. He was at least, you know, a teenager, perhaps 20, I don't know, but here is a man who follows his father up to Mount Moriah. And he says to his dad, I see the wood, I see the fire, where's the sacrifice? God shall provide, he said. And there's nowhere in scripture that shows where Isaac struggled with Abraham. There wasn't a fist fight. There wasn't some physical struggle. He allowed his father to bind him and lie him down on the altar. He did it willingly. And I asked myself, what kind of life did Abraham live before his son? That his son would trust his dad that much to get on the altar to be a sacrifice. You think Abraham had impact? Yeah, he had impact on his son Isaac. 
And he taught him a tremendous lesson. We should give to God that which we love to demonstrate to God that we love him most. Abraham loved Isaac. He waited for 25 years to receive the promise. And he's willing to give the one that he loves back to God to show God I love you best. Is there something in your life that you love more than God? Learn the lesson of Abraham as he took his son to Mount Moriah. Look at verse 23 as we come to the close of our little deep, our little uh, tour because of time. But look at verse 23. We come to this man Moses. Whenever you talk about people of faith, you've got to include Moses. Verse 23. There are several things the Bible says about Moses here. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater, uh, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he be dest uh, that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea, as by dry land, which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. He says several things about Moses. I want you to consider verse 24. By faith, he refused. He refused to become or to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. His faith caused him to make a choice. He refused it. He rejected it. Choosing to do what? He chose to suffer with the people of God. His faith caused him to choose to suffer. That's a choice. And why was he able to do it? Because of the next verse. He esteemed something more highly, highly, uh, highly than that. He esteemed the suffering of Christ to be of far uh, greater riches than all the riches of Egypt. The thing that you esteem the most is the thing that you choose. He chose to suffer. Did Moses have an impact on anybody? He sure did. He had an impact on a nation. Moses could have chosen the pleasure of Egypt. He could have stayed there, but the Bible says in the book of Acts that Moses came to a point in his life when he was 40 years of age where he identified with the people of Israel. And he went out and he saw one Egyptian killing a Hebrew. In that moment of time, Moses identified with the nation, but the scripture says he thought they would know that God had called him to be a deliverer, but they didn't. See, Moses didn't get the call at the burning bush. That was the second time. That was 40 years later. He already knew God had called him to be a deliverer, but the people didn't receive him. And so people may not receive you. They may not receive you when you come with a message of deliverance. They might not receive your message, but Moses was faithful. And Moses did something. He acted in his own strength. And he killed the Egyptian. By the time God calls him again, Moses feels like, I can't do this again, dude. No, God. No, no, no. Do you know what's going on in chapter 3? You're talking about a man who's remembering his failure. And so he gives to God all these excuses why he can't do what God wants him to do. I've tried that, but he tried it in his own strength. 
When Moses does go back, it's clear. It's clear who's in charge. It's clear who the deliverer will be. It will be God himself. Well, this passage of scripture says that we can't hang around to go through all the people, all the characters in the hall, right? I think it's in verse 32. It says, time will not permit. And time did not permit me to stay in the hall. But as I came out of that hall, I reflected on those people in that hall. I'll never be in the hall of fame. But let me tell you something. The people in that hall impacted my life. I now know people personally who are in the hall. And what they did and how they did it, their hard work which showed effort and showed they believed that they could achieve impacts my life. I don't know if God's going to build a, a new wing on the hall, but maybe you'll be in it. If you're not in it, in the letter of the book, you can be in it in your personal experience. Living the life of faith is a life of action. Someone said to me, Ken, allow God to put you in places that only he can get you out of it. Think about doing things that only God can do. Because if you can do it, you did it. When it's all said and done, you want people to say, oh, God did that. And you think through scripture and see how God does that. God puts a man in a situation that only he can bring them out. How tall was Goliath? Nine foot nine inches tall? You know, Goliath was a descendant from Ham. Did you know that? Did you know that? I think he was probably a nine foot nine inch tall black guy with an afro. <laughs> descendant from Ham, right? Now suppose a nine foot nine inch tall guy comes up to your house and says, Hey, hey, what do you want to do? You bad. Make the first move. You think it's funny? I feed your butt to the birds. That's what the live said. And a nine foot nine inch tall guy stands in front of you and God says, what's your first name? Wes. Wes. Here's a rock. <laughs> and God gives you a rock and tells you, go fight a nine foot nine inch tall guy. Are you kidding me, God? Thank you. A rock. With God is all you need. The Bible says that one day a thousand men came up against Samson. Can you imagine that? One thousand thousand men? And God gave Samson a bone. Here's a jawbone of an ass. What am I going to do with this? (laughs) He takes a jawbone of an ass and kills one he must have been a ninja. <laughs> he takes a jawbone and kills 1,000 men. Who gets the glory? No man could do that. God gets the glory. God delights in that. God delights in taking a nation of people and pin them against the wall with the enemy coming and the Red Sea here. He delights in that kind of stuff. Because when he shows up, the whole world knows who did it. And my struggle and your struggle is there's a little bit in Ken Watson that he wants to get a little bit of the praise. Just a little bit, just a little bit. 
But if I take any of the glory, I'm robbing from God. So, Lord, put me in places, put me in situations that when you move, the whole world will know it was you. I want to be in the hall of faith. Let's pray. Men of faith are people of action. They are so gripped by what they believe, they do something. And every person in this hall in Hebrews chapter 11, it is said of them, by faith they, boom, fill in the blank, they did something. It was action. Lord, I pray that our faith would not be a dormant, that our faith would be visible to the world as they see us acting on that which we say we believe. We've declared to you that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he died for our sins, was raised from the dead. Help us to act like it, live like it, live in light of it. May we live this day in light of that day and all that we say and all that we do. Lord, I pray your blessings on these men. May we go back to our homes, go back to our churches, go back to our neighborhood, go back to our jobs as men of faith. May we make an impact. May we make a difference. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.